Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. We are wrapping up our message series we've called Par for the Course today. Something that's par in life is what is normal, what's to be expected, not unusual. And God has wired in a par principle. He's wired it into the way life works. I'd like to show you a video that we used in our Paradigms for Life groups uh, this fall. One, one of the weeks was this video because it really ties things together so well out of all that I've been talking about in this series uh, so far. So here, let's watch this together. It's, it's, it's a little, it's gonna take about six minutes. So I'm gonna take a break for six minutes. But here it is. John wants to advance in life. He wants privileges. He wants a good job and he wants to make good money. Fortunately for John, there is a way to make this kind of progress. And the key is understanding a principle that operates in all areas of life. Let's call it the PAR principle. PAR stands for three words, privilege, accountability, and responsibility. Privilege is something we all like. We enjoy the benefits of having leadership or being in marriage or having something we want. Accountability is much harder though. Usually if we have something, we are held accountable for it. If you have a driver's license, you're accountable for how you drive. If you're a parent, you're accountable for your children. Marriage actually brings you into accountability to your spouse and the state. And responsibility is having the duty to deal with something. If you have responsibility for a job, you have been given or accepted the duty to deal with it. If you take responsibility to play a role on a sports team, like a pitcher in baseball or a linebacker in football, then you have the duty to deal with that role. Privilege, accountability, and responsibility. These three things need to be relatively in line in life. If John wants more privilege, there is a way to get it. By increasing his level of responsibility and accountability equally, he advances by earning greater and greater responsibility. And with the greater responsibility comes greater privileges and also greater accountability. To fulfill his desires to make money, John gets a job in a grocery store as a stock person. When the store closes, he goes to restock the shelves. That's his responsibility. As the stock person, John makes a certain amount of money. It's low, but if he does his job well, he gets that money and he gets to keep his job. Those are the two privileges at John's current level of responsibility. John is also accountable to somebody, perhaps an assistant manager. If John makes a mistake, the one who checks up on him will notice and correct him. John could lose his privileges by not taking care of those responsibilities. If John wants to grow in the privileges, he will have to rise to greater responsibility. He can arrive to work on time every day, work fast and hard, be a joy to work with, help others, and look for ways to go above and beyond his job description. When his boss notices him handling his responsibilities well, his privilege could grow. He might become a checker. Checkers make more money and have physically easier jobs, but they also have greater accountability. Someone checks the cash drawer, and John could get in much bigger trouble if money is missing from it. A lot more trouble than if items are missing from the shelves. And so it goes. John might move on up to become a supervisor, or maybe a manager. He makes much more money as a manager, but his responsibility and accountability continue to rise with that privilege. This is the way things go spiritually, too. 
If you want greater privileges, you must rise to greater responsibility. But since privilege, accountability, and responsibility go together, you will also have to accept greater accountability. This is how God advances us in life. So what's the key to elevating? The essential word is faithful. A faithful person keeps his promises and fulfills his duties well. If you are faithful in the lower responsibility, in due time, God will give you greater responsibility. The Bible talks about this. Jesus says in Luke 16:10 through 12 that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. He goes on. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you are not being faithful in what belongs to someone else, whether it's their possessions, their job, or their ministry, who is going to let you have your own responsibilities? You have to be faithful. But since faithfulness takes a lot of time and it's a lot of work, many times people look for a faster, easier way to get that privilege. They rebel and take the privilege without the responsibility. The shortcut just seems easier. This happens with robbers and thieves. John might decide he doesn't want to work several years to earn $100,000. So he buys a gun, walks into the supermarket, and walks out with that money. Shortcut taken. He gained the privilege. He now plans to have a much more enjoyable life. But his long-term goals won't be realized. Why? When you break the par balance, you enter a process of judgment. Judgment comes from the Lord. Accountability will come. John's choice to rob the store starts judgment in motion. The day comes when he will be held accountable for taking the $100,000. And judgment brings loss. John used to walk around on the streets and do pretty much as he wished. But when accountability comes, he's arrested, tried, and sent to jail. He will then walk around a much smaller space and be under constant supervision. There is public shame and a loss of a future for the robber. He loses the privileges he once had. This is the way life works in all areas that you want to advance in your goals. If you take the responsibility and faithfully fulfill it, you will gain the greater privileges. If you're not married, sexual privileges come with getting married. If you're unemployed, get a job, work hard, and you can make more money. But you have to start. If you want to rise in spiritual leadership, serve well under the people who are valid spiritual leaders. This is the way it works all across life. The Bible says in Luke 12, verse 48, When someone has been given much, that's the privilege or responsibility, much will be required in return. That's the accountability that goes with the gifts. Organizations look to see if people are faithful before they are promoted upward. Children must show faithfulness to gain more responsibility and privilege in family life. And faithfulness is important to God as he chooses whom to elevate and sustain. The PAR principle, privilege, accountability, and responsibility, stay mostly in line throughout life. If you rebel against this, it will bring judgment. But if you want to rise in privilege and have blessing upon it, you must rise in responsibility to that level of privilege. All right, I wanted to show you that uh, because basically it, it puts the pieces together that we've been walking through week by week and does it, does it very well. It clearly showed in the video uh, to have 
proper privilege, greater privilege, we first have to accept the responsibility and the accountability that aligns with the level we're, we're seeking. Over the course of the series, we've seen how daily tests are built into life, and we must keep qualifying ourselves for the level of privilege that we have in order to hang on to it. We've had a golf theme throughout the series. Uh, golfers on the PGA Tour, the ones we see on TV, they have gone through a grueling qualifying school called Q School, and you have to keep proving that you're at a certain level in golf in order to stay at that level. For instance, each week, um, the uh, the golfers on the tour have to make the cut, and then they get on the leaderboard uh, that you see there on the screen. Uh, you got to qualify yourself every week to be in position for the privilege of earning prize money. This this is the way life. This is how life works. This, this is the way it is. We have to continually qualify ourselves for the level of privilege that we have. This is what Jesus said. We've, we've been building this series off of Jesus' teaching in Luke 16, 10 through 12. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true True riches. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So he, the tests are little before much, money before the true riches, and another's before we get our own. This is, this is the way God has wired life to work. He's built this principle into the way it works. And we need faith to be faithful. You, you may feel like no one is paying attention to the details of your life, to your faithfulness, either at home, at work, on the job, or here in church life. You, you wonder if anybody notices the faithful effort that you're giving. This might be a drag on your motivation. Uh, at worst, it might tempt you to grab for privilege that you don't have, that it's not your due because you don't want to wait for it. Faith, knowing that God is involved in the details of your life, keeps us focused on faithfulness, being faithful. With the par principle in mind, I'd like to walk through a story from Scripture that carries a lot of hope. I go back to this story over and over again, and I don't mind like, if you saw that video in group, it's good to be reminded of the principles that God's built into life because he speaks in very different ways through them. But I go back to this story a lot. It's, it's a story that carries a tremendous amount of hope. It's an epic story about a man named Joseph. Now, Moses had movies made about him, but Joseph got a Broadway play. <laughs> Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's the play that was on Broadway. As I walk through the story, I believe you'll see that it has everything, and you'll understand why it got a Broadway play. But let's look at Joseph's roller coaster rise of faith and faithfulness. Joseph was the son of a man named Jacob, 
he had 11 brothers. Jacob loved Joseph more than his brothers, and he didn't keep that a secret. At one point, on one occasion, Jacob gave Joseph an ornate robe, and this really ticked his brothers off. I mean, they really got angry. They were intensely jealous. And at the age of uh, 17, Joseph had a dream regarding his future rise to leadership. So he gets this ornate robe, therefore the name of the Broadway play, The Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And then he has a dream. It would have been better if he kept the dream to himself, but he ends up sharing it. But anyway, here's, here's the dream. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. Now, can you believe he has the audacity to share that dream with his brothers? That was not a, that was not a smart move. Uh, he was basically a, a spoiled younger brat, and personally, I can identify with that. I was a baby in my family. Um, but anyway, here's a picture of the dream. You can see there, you know, there's sheaves of wheat. These are sheaves. All the 11 are bowing down. Joseph's in the middle, receiving all, all the honor. Oh, wow. This dream was about future privilege. Joseph was saying that his brothers would bow down to him one day. Now, how do you think they responded? This is what they they did. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? He's the younger one. And they hated him all the more because of the dream he had told him. Now, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Some precocious young brother you know, has this dream and shares it. Joseph has another dream with the same theme. I won't go into it. But this time he tells his dad and his brothers. Another unwise move. His father rebukes him because this is not the order that things should go in. The younger one should not get all the honor. So this isn't the way it should be. And, of course, this only makes matters worse with his brothers. One day, Joseph's brothers are in the field caring for his, the sheep of his father. They, they were a wealthy family. They had, they had a lot of sheep. It was an agricultural society, a lot of cattle. They, they were very wealthy. So uh, Joseph's brothers are out in the field, and they're tending the sheep. And Jacob, his dad, sends him out to check on the brothers and to bring them some food and take care of some of their needs that way. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, they see him walking from from a distance and they start plotting his end. I mean, they're they're not they're not they're just thinking, okay, this is our chance right here. We can take him out. This is great. Here's what it says. Here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what dreams 
what comes of his dreams. Reuben is the oldest, and he talks the other brothers out of murder, basically. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, 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 they're incensed. He convinces them, instead of murdering him, to throw him into one of these things instead. Here's a picture of a, a dry cistern. It's a dry water cistern, basically a dry well. And as the brothers are deciding what to do next, this caravan of foreigners, my, my picture is, you know, in that area of the Middle East, it's like camels and, you know, different things rolling along. A caravan of foreigners pass through the area, <clears throat> and after further discussion, they decide, okay, we're not going to kill him. We're not going to leave him in this dry well to die. We're going to sell him into slavery. <laughs> that's, so that's what they did. When Joseph gets to Egypt, so the foreigners, they take him to Egypt. When he arrives in Egypt, he's sold to a man named Potiphar. He was a high-ranking official for Pharaoh. Actually, he was the Pharaoh's captain of the guard. Very important person in, in Egypt. And Joseph becomes his servant. Here's what happens. Jeremiah, or, sorry, uh, Genesis 39.5. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. This is some responsibility he's given him. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potter had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had, more responsibilities. Faithful with some, he gets more. This is the way it works. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So he, he Joseph was so faithful... That he, the only thing he's thinking about is his next meal. That's it. That's all he's got to worry about. He doesn't have to worry about anything else. Now, next, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm running through this. I'd encourage you to read it. It's in G- Genesis 37 through 50. It's an amazing story. But next, the story takes a spicy turn, and we figure out why it was a Broadway play at this point. Now, Joseph, Genesis 39, was a well-built and handsome man. He's a good-looking guy. And after a while, his master's wife takes notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Potiphar's wife invites Joseph to enjoy a privilege that's out of bounds. She wants sex outside of marriage, and I'm sure she's a good-looking gal. She's married to the captain of the guard, probably a studly guy himself. So Joseph, if he were to take her up on her offer, would violate the par principle, wouldn't he? If he had, he would have kicked into motion a judgment cycle. She was inviting him to cross a serious line of trust. Joseph knew that he would be held accountable if he crossed it. Here's Joseph's response, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself 
with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, this is an interesting statement, isn't it? Because to this point, it's all been about uh, the master. But the reason he refuses to step out of bounds and take this privilege goes back to his to his God. He he he. The first reason Joseph doesn't take this privilege that's out of bounds is his fear of God. He says, notice he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He realizes that God is the number one factor in every situation we face. Everything that's going on, God is watching. He he sees it all. And so he didn't commit this sin. He held back. He used self-control. The second reason was his sense of responsibility to his master, but that was driven by the fact that he realized God is watching, and he wanted to stay in bounds to please God. That's, that's why he did it. We're told in this passage that day after day, his master's wife tries to seduce him. Joseph refuses until one day she finds him in the house all alone. He refuses her again, and she cries rape. Here's what happens next. Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, if you stop the story here, you'll miss what was God was doing on a large scale. Joseph basically is rewarded for his faithfulness with prison. <laughs> that is a rip. Is that a rip? I mean, let, let me hear you. I mean, that's a rip. It's important to remember that we're in the middle of the story. It's not over yet. You may find yourself in a situation right now. You're being faithful. No one seems to notice. Worse yet, you're getting a raw deal. You're not getting the privilege due for the work that you're doing. Remember, you're in the middle of your story as well. Let's continue with Joseph's story. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. He's a model prisoner. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who held, uh, all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Again, Joseph's faithfulness right here and now brings more responsibility and the privileges that align with it. It's the way it works. Faithfulness right now is the only thing we can control in our circumstances. Other than that, God's in control. Our circumstances are in the hand of other other people. But basically, God is behind all the circumstances doing what he wills. So 
While he's in prison, he met two former members of Pharaoh's household. Uh, the cupbearer, who's the guy who drinks the drinks of the Pharaoh to make sure there's no poison in them, and the baker, the, the Pharaoh's baker, the king's baker. They tell Joseph, or, or they tell, they, each of them, by the way, has troubling dreams. And they tell their dreams to Joseph, and Joseph goes to God and asks for help to interpret their dreams. And God gives him an interpretation. His interpretation is right on, and the dream, each of their dreams become reality. It's good news for the cupbearer. He's restored to his former position in Pharaoh's household, but it's worse news. It's the worst news for the, the baker. He's executed. Um, Joseph asked the cupbearer, remember me when you get into the Pharaoh's household. What do you think happens? He forgets. <laughs> he forgets him until the king, the Pharaoh himself, has a dream that troubles him that nobody can interpret. He asks for an interpretation. Nobody can interpret it. Finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph is summoned from prison to appear before the Pharaoh. He interprets the king of Egypt's dreams. And he explains that the dreams were about a future seven-year famine that would affect the whole region of the world. God used Joseph's interpretation basically to help Egypt prepare for this famine. Joseph tells Pharaoh, what you need to do is find a discerning and wise man who can help you prepare for this famine. Right now, there's going to be seven years of abundance. You need to save all you can during the seven years of abundance. That's prudent and wise. So it's time now to store up for the famine. Here's what Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom this is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So this is quite a roller coaster Joseph is on. He's going up and down, up and down. Now, he's exalted to the number two position in all of Egypt, which at the time was the world superpower. This is 13 years after he had his first dream. That he would be a person of influence and privilege, the one that angered his brothers to the point where they wanted to take him out. Along the way, he faces tests. He proves faithful. What a ride to the top. Joseph led the charge for seven years to collect and store grain during the years of plenty. Then, just as predicted, the famine begins. And the entire world, every, every part of the world outside of Egypt, was starving and dying, including the Hebrew people. These were Joseph's people. The Hebrew people. The word gets out that there's food in Egypt. So Jacob, Joseph's father, now we go back to the brothers, sends his brothers to Egypt to buy food. Again, they were a wealthy family. 
Now Joseph, uh, Genesis 42, 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Sounds like a dream. <laughs> the sheaves of wheat. I, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I, again, I'd encourage you to read it, Genesis 37 through 50. To make a, a long story short, and I've, I've, I've almost been on two times speed here, walking through it. I hope you've been able to pick it up. But Joseph, basically, when his brothers show up, he decides to have a little fun with them. <laughs> He's going to make them sweat. So before he real, uh, reveals his true identity, he puts them through some paces and basically scares them half to death because they don't recognize him at this point. He's got a different look. His fun and games scare the brothers half to death, and they scramble to prove their story because he asked them to prove their story to to Joseph. Um, And I'm going to fast forward again to a moment in time after Joseph decides to reveal his identity to the brothers, and when they realize who he is, they're shaking. And then their father dies. And what they think after their father dies is, oh, uh, boy, there's nothing in, in the way now of Joseph just dealing with us the way we wanted to deal with him. So Joseph brings them in before him. They're concerned that Joseph's wrath is going to come upon them because if, if they were Joseph, they would crush him. They, they would be crushed. But here's what Joseph says. Genesis 50:20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is pure faith. <laughs> he, over and over again, gets a raw deal. But he sees the bigger picture, the larger story of what God's doing in and through his life. In due time, at just the right time, God exalted him to a position that would fulfill his purpose for Joseph's life. He trusted God in the middle of the story, and he remained faithful to fulfill his duties. To handle his responsibilities. What is happening in your life right now? Do you, do you feel overlooked? Those are over you? They aren't paying attention. Doesn't seem like they notice. They're not giving you credit for the work that you do. The one thing that will keep you faithful is to, to trust God. To realize he's watching. He's paying attention to every detail of our lives. And I want to be faithful to him. The Bible tells us that God's in charge of all promotions. He raises one up and he puts down another. He's in charge. He's at work. Will you set your heart to have faith 
and be faithful with your responsibilities in each arena of life and trust God to bring the proper privilege at the right time that's good for you. I want to wrap up the message now, and I want to encourage you to take a next step today. On the back side of the connection card are some next steps that I'd suggest. Uh, they're on the left-hand side of the, the card. And I'd encourage you to take one of these next steps this week, or maybe God said something else to you uh, as I've walked through this story. Here are a few next steps to consider, though. First of all, read Genesis 37 through 50 this week. That'd be a great, great thing to do. And then... In faith, I will be, I will focus on being faithful with. What's a responsibility you want to decide to be faithful with? Maybe God brought something to mind. Maybe something came to mind as I was walking through the message. And, you know, you, you don't feel like anybody's noticing. You're not getting the credit you should get. What, what is an area like that? that you want to focus on being faithful with, that God spoke to you about. Let's ask for his help. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us and trains us and that makes us more and more uh, the people you've created us to be in the first place. I pray, God, that you would... You would speak to us uh, this week as we as we step out to to live this week out. I pray that you'd strengthen us to do what you've laid on our hearts to do, and that you would be honored by the way we lived and pleased as we live it out before you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray.